0: on this episode of the james quandall show
1: the tools we use are inherently experiential learning tools the games everybody thinks of it's not bejeweled or fortnite these are interactive software designed to help people connect and communicate more effectively and when they're fun it happens faster.
0: today's guest is scott Novis. scott is a serial entrepreneur His first company, Game Truck, has entertained more than 10 million children, and his latest business aims to bring video game fun to adults. Bravest Esports works with colleges and businesses to help people make friends through play. In this episode, we discussed how technology is quickly changing with the introduction of the blockchain, NFTs, and the metaverse, how the era of always answering a ringing phone has ended, and how we need to adapt our communication and leadership styles to meet our current age. Scott and I went deep in discussion of how to run a business virtually and how to form meaningful relationships with coworkers. He shared why it's important not to treat your peers and employees as vending machines or robots. Finally, we discussed the importance of play and how Scott is reinventing team building and helping teams learn how to work together to solve big and complicated problems. Please enjoy this episode. And if you have any questions or thoughts for Scott or I, please send us a message on Twitter or Instagram at James so I actually kind of stopped our conversation because I wanted to backtrack because I thought what we were talking about was so valuable to everybody listening. And we were talking about, I think, Boise State, Idaho computer programming. I, it, I don't even, they probably don't even call it computer programming. That shows you how old school I am. The GIM program.
1: They call it their GIM program.
0: I, um, I started out when I was like eight years old in BASIC, in DOS. I don't know, maybe there was Windows 3.1, I'm not even really sure. And right. my coding started with just like pro- programming in, ask this question, enter reply, and then you'd be like, hello, James. And, you know, Just like the most basic rudimentary yeah. stuff. And I know it's gotten so, so far away from where I'm at today. I'm just curious, from your angle with your daughter going through that right now, how does it look, how does it changed?
1: So I've got gray hair. Right. So I'm a Gen Xer. So it's radically different. I grew up in the era where 640K should be enough memory for anybody, right? So it's, it, um, you were always worried about what the hardware was doing. And did you have enough memory for things? And it was, you were, you felt like you were directly controlling the machine and trying to get the machine to do things. So you were like a, a puppet master day, it is so high concept and abstract. You never know about the hardware. Like the cloud has radically changed things. So it's just, you just sort of put your ideas down. Like software is, it's solidified thought. Think of it that way. Here's how I think about things. And you put it into this special language and then magically this hardware somewhere does something with it and produces an interesting response. And so to me, it's so conceptual now, but incredibly crazy powerful. You know, listening to her talk, write little snippets of code that control incredibly powerful complex objects. And they then go off and run their little behaviors. It's still software development, but now it feels more like management (laughs) than the software development. When I was a kid,
0: my dad and I would go to these weird buildings where they had computer shows and we would buy hard drives we would buy motherboards we'd buy fans we'd buy a tower and then we'd come home and we'd put it all together because you couldn't off the shelf buy a computer that was advanced enough to do anything and those computers now i mean i've got a this is this is funny i've got this ipod classic i just found the other day this thing's got more power than the computers i had in the 90s by a mile right and And then I was remembering the first MP3 I ever download was Elton John's "Candle in the Wind." Now you don't download MP3s, right? You you just stream them, right? (laughs) You don't stream
1: it, yeah. All music everywhere available at your fingertips,
0: and it's changing
1: all again. But like here to put it to your point, right? Is you're like I wrote a basic program. Hello, James. How are you? And you then had to deal with everything after that. Now it's like. Hey, computer, have an interesting conversation with John. That's almost the level it's at now. You're like, man, how does that happen? Well, don't worry about it. There's a library or a tool or somebody wrote of an AI that will have interesting conversations. Is there a topic you want them to focus on? It's um, the layers we have built up. And what's, you know, the, the buzz right now is metaverse, which if anybody freaks out, don't worry, um, nobody. But knows there was
0: metaverse. There was this computer video game. I remember, like, fifteen years ago. I think it was like Second Life or something. That was metaverse, basically, wasn't it?
1: It was. It was the the what is taking it to another level. So meta means about information about something. And ever since we created the internet, everything has this halo of information that surrounds it. There's not a product you can touch. There's not a thing that you can't grab. Where you know there is more information available. One quick search away that'll bury you with more detail than you ever wanted to know. Change is the ability to make those that digital twin, that digital version of things. I think that's the bigger idea is digital twinning, that they can be unique. We haven't had that before. So it's the difference between walking into a Sporting Goods store going, I want to buy a baseball, they're like $5, or I want to buy the baseball Babe Ruth sign. And those are priceless. We can now do that in the digital world. Thanks to blockchain technology, we can make things unique. You know, you think of a game like Fortnite that makes billion dollars a month selling undifferentiated, ununique items through V-Bucks in their game. Now those items, we're basically going to take the whole memorabilia industry online. In every way conceivable, it's going to be mind bending. Like the last time there's this, this much development activity, it created the Internet. That's how big this is.
0: When I look at and I don't want to go completely deep on NFTs and, and all of that, because there's many places you can go for such better knowledge than me on that But I am curious, is what we're seeing today just like the tip of the spear, and it's going to look completely different and more usable for the mass public, and we just don't know how that's going to look yet, so it's just really early?
1: Yeah, I think it's the tip of the Mm -hmm. iceberg, I think it's a bigger, like way broader than we know. So there's two big things that are going to change people's lives. Number one are passwords. How many freaking accounts and passwords do you have? Validation is an absolute nightmare. And our weakest point now is everybody's decided the cell phone is going to save. So protecting your cell phone is probably the
0: most important thing. Until it gets lost do. or stolen and you can't log into your computer anymore. Correct. If somebody can hack
1: your phone, they can have everything you own. This technology are people working on solutions to allow that unique identification. And here's the other part especially, and this relates to the conversation that we originally started on as remote teams, how much of your actual working life is now lived online?
0: Basically all of it, yeah.
1: Right? For my generation, 30 to 40% of my reputation is online reputation. The rest of it's in-person reputation, people I actually know and hang out with physically. And that is accelerating more and more to be online. So how do we protect and create that distinction and uniqueness of ourselves online? This technology is going to enable that So that it's like once the anonymity starts to vanish, like you really know who you're dealing with and it's verifiable, the level of our online reputation and trust is going to, look, trust is a lubricant. Trust makes it easier to deal with people. Trust makes it easier to, you know, do business together, to work together. And so this technology is going to accelerate that. Imagine contracts that don't need lawyers because as soon as the conditions are met, they're Automatically fulfilled and released, and the software's becomes that referee that takes care of it. We like here's an interesting thing: video games, esports, competitive video games don't have referees; they don't need them. Now, what is one of the number one things that irritates everybody about sports? You know, instant review, which is never instant, right? Instant replay is never instant, and the reviews. It's so
0: frustrating if I'm watching a tennis game and you know that ball's out but the guy just called the last three out and then the computer said they were in. So he doesn't even bother to call that one out and it ends up being a deciding point in a game. And you're like, that was a deciding point and it was out and the audience clearly saw it was out. But if the player doesn't call it, it doesn't trigger a review. Sometimes
1: we have all these sort of human beings trying to, you know, manage other human beings that doesn't exist in esports. They're like the software takes care of it. Now imagine, so nobody yells at the umpire, the referee in esports. Imagine we have like that could be a massive impacts in lots of areas where you don't need somebody else to pay attention because the technology has it baked in. Those are the types of transformations that are coming and not here yet, but boy, there's a lot of people working really hard to make that.
0: I'm old school. I'm young, but I'm old school. Our first connection was I picked up the phone and gave you a call because I said, you know what? This is going to be quicker to settle by email. We can actually build a relationship over the phone and I remember distinctly because I've mentioned this to multiple people. You said, "You know what? I really appreciate that you called." What happens if we lose the, that type of that in the real world trust?
1: I think it's already an anachronism. My original company, the first company I found, is a company called Game Truck. And we thought 30,000 birthday parties a year for kids. It's a franchise nationwide. So guess what? We get a lot of phone calls. It's over 10,000 a month of people that that do call. We get a lot of web traffic. We get a lot of leads, but we have stopped calling people back because they won't answer the phone. People do not answer the phone. And I've talked to other people that have businesses that rely on speaking to someone and they're like, yeah, we don't call people back either. It's not to be rude. They just will not answer the phone. So we use text or we use email. um, We use online messaging. Um, We're available. You call us, we're going to pick up and we're going to talk to you. But for the consumer, my phone does it now. If you're not in my database, if you're not somebody I already know, I was shocked the phone rang when you called me because if you're not in my database, my phone will not ring. You go straight to voicemail because of the amount of spam calls and all the noise out. So yeah, it's already in massive decline.
0: And so- and I, I noticed that my wife, she was an executive director for a, a nursing home and recruiting employees. You couldn't call them to show up for an interview. You had to text them to come to an interview. And then you had to text them the day of the interview and mm-hmm. said, hey, just want to remind you, are you, are you going to come to today's interview? And me, I'm like, like if they want an interview, they're going to show up. But that's not necessarily true. Like if you need an employee, you got to hunt them down.
1: It's interesting how technology shapes behavior. I heard this thing. If you want to change somebody's behavior, give them a better tool. And you grew up in there as well as I, and we were all got conditioned to this, that the phone rings, we became slaves to the phone. I have to answer it. It was a big, okay, I'm old enough to remember having dinner before there was a cell phone. It was really stressful if the phone rang during dinner and it was like, no, do not answer the phone. Dinner time is more important. So AT&T did an amazing job of training all Americans and people around the world To freak out when the phone rang, you better answer it. Someone's trying to get a hold of you. And it really started with the millennials. They flipped it on its head going, how dare you interrupt me when I'm in the middle of something because you need to talk to me. What about me? There's the original, it's all about me generation. Sorry, not trying to be mean, but the boomers kind of did that. They raised their kids like, we'll make it easier for you. And they did, they made it very easy, but that flipped it. They now have a completely different attitude about calls. It's been passed down. Which is, you're interrupting me. I will get back to you when it is convenient for me. That's the new norm. You text people. And if you want to get a millennial on the phone, tell them how long you're going to talk to them. Text them and go, hey, I need to talk to you. It's only going to be five minutes. Here's the topic. If you prime them, then they'll call you back. They do not like open-ended, how long are you going to soak up my time?
0: I can relate to that. I There's some people who call me and I never answer. Because they never are clear about what they want to talk about. And I don't know if it's going to be a three minute call or is this an hour call? Are they going to ask me to help them move? Like what is it that they want? If you just text me and told me, like, hey, what do you want? I would probably call you back or answer. I
1: feel like we should do that for your listeners today. Because I know that they love being on your show and hearing interesting conversation, but you know, we we're touching on so many different things. It's like, where is this going and how are we helping them? You know, what what solution are we getting? Really, I, you know, I, I love the conversation we had because I wanted to talk about what we're seeing in trends in remote work and what we're seeing in terms of um, some people handle it very, very well. Other people can find it mm-hmm. isolating. Even if you handle it well, um, there's new and interesting ways for us to form stronger connections online. What's really interesting is some of the behaviors, um, this comes out of research Google did through the Project Aristotle. You don't have to be in an office together to have strong um, teamwork and strong connections. That's the thing I'm really interested in because I took my company completely remote. So I'm living this thing.
0: I'm curious, uh, one pain point that I have with remote work, managing others knowing what they're doing without pinging them all the time asking them what they're doing or monitoring their screen activity when i worked with businesses and managed people walking around and you could see what they were doing and you could see if they were engaged or disengaged now it's really hard. Like, are they working out? Are they working? Are they taking a walk? Like, how do you manage people in this remote world?
1: My philosophy on management. So number one, we want to manage outcomes. I want to manage outcomes, not methods. One of the things that people love about remote work is flexibility. And they want control of their schedule. They want to decide, like, you yeah, know, I'm going to get it done at 7 o'clock at night in my pajamas. I don't want to have to be somewhere to specific. And that can be for a traditional manager that's used to seeing people in the office working. It can be really stressful for exactly that reason. I don't know what they're doing and when they're doing it. It's like, well, doesn't matter. Um, so what replaces that? I see people at their desk working, and they might not really be working. Um, what we want are better report, better scorecards, and honestly, what employees want to know is like, what am I actually being measured on? Okay. So I have two engineering degrees in engineering, electrical engineering. We do crazy math, right? Stuff. That's like the kind of things that make them you know, imaginary numbers and make people's heads spin. And, and I took accounting and you're like, add, subtract, sometimes multiply rarely. <laughs> yeah. divide. This is it. No problem. So I never went to class, showed up at tests. I think I missed one question. Right. It was like some, it was a dumb error. The rest of it was like, not a problem. I got a C. How did I get a C? I went into the professor's office. and I'm like, did I not clearly demonstrate I have mastered the material? I understand this. He goes, that's not enough. You have to show up. You didn't show up for any classes. That was 25% of your grade. 100% minus 25%. 75%. -hmm. 75% C. And I'm like, I will never be an accountant. Because to me, it was about competence, not about compliance. What in my company, what we've gone to, and it's a really popular system. There's other ones out there like Scaling Up, um, Entrepreneurial Operating System. There's a couple other ones. But we went to defining roles and expectations for every single employee. And it was, what five things do I want you worried about? every day. And I don't mean worry, like you should, you're you're feeling threatened. It's like, this is what you're thinking about when you come in. Like, I want to make sure these things are under control and how are we going to measure those? And we sat down with every employee and goes, how are you going to measure this? You should know if you're on track, right? You shouldn't be capricious. It shouldn't be like, oh God, the boss is going to yell at me because they can't see me. It's like, no, you know, you're doing a good job. Like we've mutually agreed the things that you're doing should produce these results that are visible for you and for us. And then once a week, we come together and we review them together. And so we have regular check-ins that we use. It's called an L10 meeting, but there's other meetings you can use. That's from the EOS book. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And you just see their progress. Where are you at? What are you doing? Is it clear? Uh, We've been experimenting with another thing called um, asynchronous meeting. And so we have a dedicated Slack channel. Um, You can do this in Teams. You're teeing up a meeting at the beginning of the week with specific objectives and goals. There's an agenda. The main thing is people just, there's a cadence where every day people are putting up, here's the topic we're working on. By the end of the day, there needs to be a response, which the end of the day is before 8 a.m. the next day where we rotate through the next step. So we're taking five steps every week.
0: Uh, so the end of the day isn't the end of a typical working day. The end of the day is before the next day when you're going to go further.
1: Right. We separate work from we have to be synchronized. We all have to be present at the same time. If we have a debate or a conversation, if we need to develop mutual understanding in real time. That's a meeting. But not every work project needs a meeting. We use the asynchronous meeting where it's like, you got your piece, I've got my piece. So we're communicating with each other what our progress is in relation to what we need to have done. Like here's five icons that we might use in our next application everybody vote. And by tomorrow I'll have all the votes tallied and we're going to pick the one we like. That's a great asynchronous type task. Um, there could be another one where it's like, we're analyzing expenses. Like what are all these, you know, where do they go? We've got a bunch of things come in. Nobody categorized them. We're terrible with receipts. You know, everybody go through the list and tag what you think belongs to which department and which project, um, you have till tomorrow morning. Hmm. And then we go through it. It creates Clarity. I expect to have this done by this date, and it's visible to everyone. What we found is the employees love it because now they know what they're being measured on. Now they know what the expectations are. So it's less stressful for them, and it's easier from a leadership point of view. And when things aren't, well, then you get into way more sophisticated conversations, and this is where most managers have never been trained. How do you actually hold someone accountable?
0: Especially a remote person. Anyone, actually, but especially remote people. You can't look in the eye. You can't sit down until you come and figure it out.
1: Even if you do, you probably haven't been trained on the right techniques on how to help someone else find their own motivation to solve their problem. The tools that we're usually given are... They're way out of the date. They tend to focus on yelling at people or guilting people or shaming people. And none of those are healthy.
0: It's more of a, here's your pink. Here's your piece of paper that documents what you did wrong. Please sign it and don't do it again. Thank you. Have a great day. It's not like what, why, you know, there should be more why and what and how. And I actually like the, I think it's Jocko that wrote the book um, Extreme Ownership, whereas a manager goes, what did I do wrong that caused this employee to not be clear on what they should have been doing? They were great when I hired them. So it has to be me.
1: Only two people that are on the cutting edge of this do this in real time with real people. And I have come to think of this compassionate confrontation, what they're extremely skilled at talking to someone and making them feel seen, known, and accepted. And from that space, they use um, really powerful, like really powerful skills to draw the other person into solving their own problem and getting to the core issue in a way that the other person leaves committed, motivated, as I said, A, B, C, D above and beyond the call of duty to go address that issue. It is really powerful. I, I, you know, I'm still learning it myself, but it does boil down to like one of the number one tips I give people, get rid of the word why, why creates defensiveness, defensiveness. Why is you versus me? What is way more interesting is to cultivate curiosity and go, how, what, what happened? Tell me about it. I want to hear your perspective in your story. That's the key is when we get someone's story, we can stand in their shoes and see what they saw. How did they feel about it? A story is what happened? How did you feel about it? And together we can decide what it means. But in order to get to what it means, we first need to know the story and how they felt about it. So as a a coaching and leadership habit, when something bad happens or unexpected or undesirable, this is not what we wanted. Our number one goal in my company and what I try to train all my leaders to do is get curious. Don't get angry. Don't get upset. Don't get indignant. Don't You know, stay away from shaming. Shaming is not productive. It shuts people down, it closes them off. Get
0: curious. I find when I did do more team leadership, if I blamed myself for someone else's failure, it made the conversation look a lot different than if I was blaming them. It was like, well, where did I break the process in development of this person? What do they not have knowledge? Did I not have clear expectations? did i not pick the right person to begin with did i not put him in the right role like what can I, what did i do wrong in this scenario <laughs>
1: and that's a good step i would tell you that the challenge with that is leaders get so little encouragement and positive feedback already you can fall into that can become a negative Reinforcing loop for yourself, you can fall in the trap of becoming a bucket of blame. If you're in the middle of an organization and your peers see you taking blame or leaders, now you can have a real complex problem. Change doesn't work in any direction, it doesn't work on yourself, it doesn't work for others. And so I like this tool set because what you're really doing is bringing encouragement and believing the other person has the capacity to solve their problem. And so if you come from that space of, hey, We didn't get the outcome we wanted. I'm here to believe and support you in getting to the outcome that you believe because you signed up for this. You believed you could get there. I'm here as a resource to help you achieve that goal. Let's let's explore it together. Now you're empowering yourself and you're empowering the other person. And that is a creative that is adds positive energy. It builds the trust back.
0: I feel good just hearing you describe that as a, as an employee it's like oh wow this they i'm really believed in here and valued and i think that's re- why it's so refreshing
1: here's the number one trick i'm playing with like your jocko like what jocko peterson extreme ownership and what you saw you're absolutely right it changes the conversation because now you've created space for them to open up validation. Even if you disagree with it, you do not have to accept what they believe themselves. They're putting out what they think you want to hear. And they're thinking about it. It's not manipulative. It's called a conflation, the lie told honestly. And it's a human thing that we all do. We're like, well, I really think it's this. I will uh, I will uh, give you an example of, of one of these that happened for me recently is that I had a disconnect with one of my my top employees. We were like, how did this come about? He goes, well, you created that culture. Like, I might have a blind spot. I'm like, tell me more about that. And he went into this one area, you know, something we were in development on. He goes, we just, we don't ever challenge Scott about that. That's the culture. Okay. All right. I could see that. And if I created that culture, then your response to this was totally rational. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I didn't remember doing that. And one of those things as a leader is like, man, I got blind spots. I think we all do. But my number one thing was I'm going to validate his point of view. And that's going to create safety and trust Mm -hmm. because he believes it. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to call him a liar. This is, I could disagree with it, but I don't have to like
0: hit him in the face with that. Or he's not going to come next time either.
1: Right. So I need to like, okay, let's keep talking and let's go into, because if I'm working against my own goals and I'm creating a culture where people feel like they cannot, I need to fix that. I need to know more about it. As we dug deeper into the conversation, what I discovered was that, At the time I'd had some business partners that we were not agreeing about development priorities and it was pretty heated. So what really happened is he was protecting me. He knew the project I was working on was important. He didn't want to create an exposure on the project to the partner that disagreed with it. So he just left it alone and didn't talk about it and let it sit. Now that's a totally different motivation, isn't it? Now here's a guy who's not really blaming me for scaring him. Like I can't talk about things because Scott will get angry. It's like, I believe in Scott and I want to protect Scott. So I'm going to leave this alone. I mean, I get choked up over that. Like, my God, that level of loyalty, people are looking out for you. Holy cow. Now in the short, you know, objectively, this created a problem. Of We didn't talk about things we needed to talk about, but now the motivation is very different. It was something he actually uncovered from himself as he was, now safe to more explore the emotions and the feelings that created this. When I'm working on a pet project, we don't talk about it, we don't review it, and we leave it alone, and why that culture came about. And we have a different culture now. Like, I have amazing partners now. I have incredible people that I'm very compatible with, and we're all passionate and pulling in the same direction. And so this was just seemed like out of left field that somebody wouldn't, you know, like, hey, we need you to cross-check this stuff. Why aren't you cross-checking it? And it was like, well, we don't.
0: And that's where a lot of the best stuff comes from—is these small, little incubator projects that you don't know what's going to happen, like a, a little experiment.
1: Wouldn't it be dumb if well, yeah. let's try it? Well, let's know? see. You never know. But actually, as, in,
0: the, the most genius ideas start as an insane idea that you wouldn't think would ever work.
1: <laughs> oh, I heard this thing. I think it was from Adam Grant that the the two uh, character. No, it wasn't Adam Grant. It was a book called The Antidote. Um, the two characteristics of super successful entrepreneurs is, um, they commit to an idea and they get a lot of people to follow them. It turns out some of the biggest business failures in the world also have those characteristics (laughs) because if you're not stubborn, you won't plow through difficult problems. And if you can't get a lot of people to follow you, you can't do anything big. It turns out that's not what differentiates success and failure. It differentiates
0: scale. So completely changing gears. And I'm just thinking more about virtual work. I miss those water cooler moments of spontaneity and and seeing how people are doing feeling their presence and really knowing right. the person and and having sort of unstructured unscheduled time where you know two people Those that would never words. meet an accountant an analyst or an accountant and some programmer or some two people that maybe don't ever talk at the water cooler going hey man I've been struggling with this thing and like oh I can help you fix that in two minutes and boom you got a whole new thing how do you, in the virtual space, how do you do that?
1: You have to be intentional about creating times for unstructured, unplanned conversation. Conceptually, when you think about a company, there's multiple social groups that operate in a company. You can have a team and there's different kinds of teams. I think of team as interdependent. My work depends on your work. I can't finish what I do or vice versa. We're, 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 we're linked together. Um, There are work group teams, like a call center. They're all doing the same job in parallel. Um, One person does not directly affect the other person's ability to do the job, but we often think of them as teams, HR departments very often. end up. And then there's the department cross-boundary. Are we getting synergies instead of silo? All of that is accelerated by trust between humans. How do we build that? We have to know each other. We have to care about each other. And it's not enough to belong. We have to do things together to give our caring meaning. So there's little things you can do at the beginning of every meeting, do a check-in. We start every meeting with, how are you doing? Give us a personal win and a a personal best and a business best. So we specifically carve out time before every meeting to check in on each other. But we also create um, our Friday forums or our fun Fridays where it's a lunchtime. And I'm a huge advocate of play. I've been in the video game business forever. And I know that People make friends online and they make online by playing together. And the advantage of play is it creates synchronization. What I mean is we're all sharing a similar or the same experience. So it gives us common memories. When we have common memories, we build a common identity. That's what culture is. Culture is our identity. I'm part of this company. We value this. I also share those values. And we be, have these behaviors that manifest those values. If we never do things together that manifest the things we care about, do we really share values? Or do we really have a common identity? As the PayPal guy said, you know, you want to find people that are crazy like us. We're passionate about the same things. We believe, you know, uh, care about the same things. And we act in ways together to make those changes happen in the world. If we only show up at a Zoom call, only do work. That's transactional. It's not personal. It feels
0: like a vending machine. It's uh, This person does this for me, and I just email them or Slack them or assign a task on Asana to them, and it gets done, and that's the end of our relationship. And I only care about that when that task doesn't get done. Yeah, what relationship? That's an NPC. I mean, that's in a video game world, that's not actually a human. That's just a robot.
1: It's an app right? We don't even go to the bank anymore. Everything's done on an app. We the, don't even get like
0: the Wells Fargo in my town closed. We were going to go deposit a check. The Wells Fargo just wasn't there anymore. I'm like, what? I've never heard of a bank closing like a Wells Fargo. I didn't even know that was a thing.
1: Anytime a interactions between two people become just purely transactional and systematic, we replace it with software. So is that the companies we want? When and the, the problem with that is like, it's great as long as things don't change, but what happens when there's change? And that's when you need the power of a human being is to come together and say, all right, how are we going to adapt to this new uncertainty? How are we going to adapt to these new conditions? How are we going to grow? How are we going to learn?
0: That makes so much sense. If your business is a transaction, if all the relationships, I'm saying relationships, that's a loose term, I get it. But the if the, everything's a transaction in your business, you are basically ripe for someone who is relational, really ran to just Dominate your business. They're going to just take over because they're going to have creativity.
1: Exactly. I mean, we ran into. We went from being all in person, so we had everything. We were in office, and we shifted completely remote. You know, we're in video games, so we thought we've got this. We're we're going to dominate this space. We were killing it. I thought, man, we really know what we're doing. And then one of my top people resigned. I was blown away. I was like, what the heck? He basically, in his exit interview, said none of this has anything to do with. We had become completely transactional, and we were so busy that no one had time. Um, for each other. Mm. And it just felt like working in a machine, it, it became more machine than it had ever been. There was no laughter. There was no, oh yeah, I remember even the those, like you said, the water cooler, like going to lunch. How can so many smart people have such a hard time picking such a simple thing? But even that became, you know, those dumb debates, like is a taco, a sandwich and all of that had evaporated and it only became work. And then it was, In this era where the world of employers is available at your keyboard, that's all it took I'll find a different company that's more interesting to me personally and move on because there's no, people aren't loyal to businesses. They're loyal to the friends they make at businesses. They're loyal to the interactions they make and the feedback they get and that we weren't providing that nutrient. We weren't giving that nourishment. And so we had to become very intentional about
0: it. One thing about the flexibility you gain from remote work and being able to work on your projects anytime you want is I think you have a more robust personal life. You can actually go to lunch with friends or family instead of coworkers. You can have your lunch at three instead of noon. Like you have so much more flexibility, so you don't need it from work, but then your work just feels kind of cold and you don't have that, that connection at work anymore. It's just, you just get a paycheck and you're done. Like that loyalty is not there anymore from that.
1: The, 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 the number of thread like people talk about connection and one conversation, what we're doing right now is a connection, but that's one thread in a row. And so if we only have one or two connections and they're thin and weak, they're easy to break relationships are made of many connections over time. What really makes a relationship powerful is when we both store memories together, we each have a piece of the puzzle. It's actually an amazing phenomenon how human beings store information and organizational information together. Gore-Tex is super interesting because they all split up. Anytime a group hits 150, they break up. There's this thing called channel capacity and it's how many relationships we can all measure together. So that's the other part, why you want to bring your teams together. If we only end up like spokes in a bicycle tire, right, we're still fragile. The more connections we have, if we can become more like a, a car tire where it's like steel, right, lots of connections in lots of directions, that's a very strong organization. Our limit is human beings is about 150 people. That's the cap. And what they found is when they would break groups up going well you you're you're about to blow up we're going to separate you out they would lose capability and capacity it turns out as organizations we store information collectively so i have some of it and you have some of it and together we have all of it so once we start pulling apart into these thinner and thinner threads and the relationships become weaker and weaker, our organization becomes more fragile.
0: It's that groupthink. All that knowledge is between multiple people and it can be accessed because you're working together to solve the problems and you're not siloed off. So when right. you guys went virtual and you you were discovering and learning this, how did you introduce this playfulness and fun into work? Because I, I really agree that that's what's missing from a lot of the folks i work with it does feel transactional like here's what james does here's what they do and we have this it as long as we're both doing that that's that's it but i miss that fun and loyalty and the the shared memories
1: well we're we're super lucky that um you know we're in the video game industry so we all have games so we made deliberate time um to carve out once a month um, for everyone to jump in a game and play together. We did realize, and so this is a, a passion project I've had for a while. Not everyone's a gamer, and we were having different levels of complexity. So we actually made a game, um, and we created a game that's a A lot of people don't know when I say video games, people think of Madden or Fortnite, like, ah, you know, and uh, it's so many people in business are like, I'm not a gamer, and they don't identify with that. We wanted something, as I told the development team, your mom has to be able to play it. It's cooperative. There's an entire genre of games now that most people are unaware of that are cooperative and collaborative. So we're not competing with each other. We're working together to achieve a common goal. There are games that are about moving. So they're ordinary tasks that sound interesting, but they're challenging because the controls are simple. It's the working together that's hard. Our game is in the cooking genre Is we run a little, a little restaurant together, a little, uh, a little, you know, like a food truck. But the idea is any cook can do any task. No cook can do every task. You will have to work together and you'll have to talk to each other and a little bit of pressure from a time clock and keeping score is enough for some pandemonium, some laughter and some new memories and figuring it out together. And we can then rotate groups so that you're playing with people from different departments. You can have marketing, playing with operations, playing with finance. And suddenly people that might never even interact at all online are now playing together and having memories. So we go into a Zoom call, do our check-in, see everybody's doing, and then we break out into randomly distributed groups of four to go play this game for a while. Um, We're we're constantly adding new levels and coming up with new ways of making it more interesting because it's really about, we talked about the metaverse. It's our space to play together. It's our space to remember why we like working together. And it's also an opportunity because I'm that kind of person. I love psychology. How do we practice our teamwork? How do we practice working together in an environment where your professional career is not at risk, it's safe to fail? you screw this up, who cares?
0: Two things on that. One, if you're not a gamer, is it still fun? I'm a gamer, so that sounds super fun to me. Like I would love to play that game. But what about the non-gamers? Are they enjoying that too?
1: Well, yes, very much, because it's controls are super, it's like arrow keys and spacebar. Yeah. Right. If you can, you know, if you can navigate a Word document, you can play this game. The challenge is not the game controls, the challenge, the communication and working together. That's the piece we want the emphasis on. And so it's Jackbox easy to get into, but we wanted the quality to be high. So it's a console, it's a Unity game. It's a console quality game. 3D graphics, cute little characters. It's built for DEI so that, you know, there's, it's, you can make your own little character, but it's all gender neutral. Everybody, you can put your own avatar out there. And what do I encourage people? And so when we do this and we help other companies do this, the discomfort you have is super important. Like that's the piece I most wanna help people work through because that is your barrier to growth. When we talk about, oh, lean into the discomfort, that's the discomfort we're talking about, that feeling. What it really is is adults hate to learn in front of other adults. We just don't like to do it. That's the emotional discomfort we have. And what we're really talking about is how do we create psychological safety? How do I make it safe for you to learn in front of your teammates? How do I make it safe for you to not be perfect in front of everyone? That's how we're gonna learn. That's how we're gonna get better. Things are gonna change. Guess what? you're not going to be good at something because it's different. You're not practiced at it. You're not good at it. So how do I make it safe for you to go? I need help. Or how do I get better at this? Or, Hey, um, I made a mistake. Like I've, I've done work with so many companies where um, I got a project coming up here at the end of the month for, Oregon National Guard. We did this recently uh, for Arkansas National Guard, where a lot of stuff they do really, really matters. And that is a lot of pressure to be perfect and get it right. And we were going into that environment. It was actually, you know, it's super important for all of us to feel smart and competent. I know what to do and I know how to do it. Right? I can do it. But when you're thrown into an environment where there's chaos or there's change or people don't know, we can pull back. And then we shut down and that isn't productive or helpful. Getting people through this hurdle of we're in it together. We're going to help each other together and we're going to learn this together. Um, I mean, I still, uh, my favorite feedback from those sessions was that, you know, number one, I can't make a mistake. Okay. That's a problem. (laughs) But number two is when we went through, here's what it means to make a mistake. And here's how you recover and learn and adapt and grow. The laughter that came out of it. Play is expansive. We all know fight or flight. What's its opposite? Broaden and build. That's what play does. Play takes us out of fear mode into optimist mode. And when we're in optimist mode, we're more open and we can broaden and build. We can grow. Fear shrinks, play grows. So fun is actually a powerful tool to help people achieve their potential.
0: So how does that? um, the lessons learned in this play environment and the new connections, how does that then show up in the, the work that's done? Like the the pitch for a company, like how, where does it show up what they learn there?
1: You know, it, for me, it shows up in a myriad of ways. Like one of the number one ways we have for my company is we have a raise a hand channel. And that is a channel on Slack that goes to everybody in the company. So there's one thing about, oh, suggestion boxes and other things and feedback boxes. This is, hey, I have a problem I can't solve by myself. It takes a lot of courage for somebody to post in that channel because they're letting everybody in the company know they're struggling with something. To me, that is, I love that channel because it's a sign my company is getting better. And it's a sign of our culture that we're gonna swarm it, we're gonna fix it, and we're not gonna have that problem. And that it's a sign of our safety that everyone from an intern to my CFO has used and can use that channel. I'm almost concerned when people don't use it. You know, it's like, are you afraid? You've got some issue there, or like you busy being perfect.
0: How much time are you spending being perfect, figuring out on your own when there's people who know how to do it right now?
1: So having channels where people can openly ask for help and sort of tap the hive mind is one way I see that manifested. And it's reinforced by how we play together that we help each other, we support each other, and we learn together. And mistakes, you know, failure's never final, and success is never permanent. We're constantly in motion. That's one way that I objectively see how we, you know, have improved and grown. Um, and the other ways are the communication in the language when we're having our check-ins. You know, people know each other, and they ask about each other. Like, hey, last week you were talking about this. Uh, what's going on with that? You know, how's your dog, you know? or kids are in school, what's going on? And the personal connection awareness grows dramatically when we spend time together. And now we see ourselves as, you know, families kind of an overused metaphor, but we know each other well enough that we're a close community that knows and cares about each other. That to me is what makes us
0: work. So mistakes in the workplace, if you aren't trying new things and you're not, attempting, you're not going to make mistakes. So how do you transfer mistakes in the game world to, for people to realize, hey, it's okay to make a mistake in the work world too?
1: Well, this circles back to the conversation we had at the very beginning. How do you support people? Because a mistake can manifest as an undesirable outcome. Like, ah, oh, I didn't do it, or I didn't get it done, or I didn't finish it, or I did it. Because that's one of the ones, I did it, we did it wrong, right? I, we did it and it didn't work. We thought it was going to work, it didn't work. So now we're at the end of this task and it isn't finished because what we did didn't work. How do you approach that conversation? It's way easier to have compassion for someone and to confront them compassionately in a supportive way when you see the whole person. You know, this is a good person. This is a competent person. This is a person we want in our company. And this is a person who made an effort. And, and that's the big difference, right? The, the errors of effort versus the errors of indifference. Yeah, I'm still not skilled at like being all compassionate about that. That's like, hey, if you don't, if you don't give a shit, this might not be the company for you. This might not be the place where, you know, it's going to be a great fit for you. But if you really like care and we see that in all the things that they do, then, yeah, I'm here to help you work through this and let's get to the other side of it so we can learn. Because- your neural networks don't update without just a little bit of discomfort and pain, right?
0: I call it like the hard drive spinning. When when you aren't pushing your brain at all, it just feels like it's coasting. When you kind of feel like there's a little smoke coming out of your ears, that's where you're actually making a new connection. You can feel it.
1: How do you build muscle? You got to push your muscles to the point where they are at the edge of failure. They tear a little bit and then they'll regrow. Our brain works the same way. Our capability works the same way. We grow at the edge of our ability. And so you see somebody performing at the edge of their ability and they ch- they stumble. Our culture and our desires. Are, hey, let's pick each other up so we can keep going. And we can have that moment to grow. Very different from somebody who is... Stumbling because they're not trying. They're not even stumbling. They're just
0: not out on the field. And you could see that pretty quick and easy when you when you ha- are in touch with what's going on. When you're in
1: touch and you're in connection, it becomes much more obvious when somebody is just when they're when it's only transactional. You can't tell the difference between indifference. They're busy and you just can't see them. You don't have the emotional context to know what's really happening to the other person. That's a
0: great point. That's so good. Yeah. They're disengaged. It can show up as they're just really busy and they're not getting back to you and not finishing stuff because they're overwhelmed when they're just checked out.
1: That was the thing that you could see in the office. Somebody who's disengaged looks one way. Somebody who's engaged looks another. And it was an easy, quick check for you. How do you do that now online when Busyness and disengagement look nearly identical in task work. How do you do it? Well, and that's the part where you have to invest the time and energy to form the relationship connection to know the difference. That's why we, you know, we carve out time to play together. That's why we carve out time to check in on each other, and why we have, you know, systems of how we explore, um, you know, when things don't go as planned. How do we manage and support each other? And you can tell the difference between somebody that leaves that conversation totally motivated. And now they're going to go get it done. And they do like, they do that above and beyond the call of duty. And you need to talk to somebody that usually the big sign is the problem is everywhere, but them Mm -hmm. when it's all external, well, I didn't have this and I didn't get that. And nobody gave me this. And this wasn't fair. And those conversations, those often lead to this might not be the place for you. And interestingly, as we got better at our systems, we did experience turnover. But what was amazing were the people that we hired that refilled them love the system we have. They love the visibility. They love the accountability. They love the support. Because now it's not, because flip it around, if you're not clear about these things, how the heck does your employee know what you care about? How do they know what they're being measured against? How do they know if they're being successful
0: They won't choose the right priorities because they don't know which one is number one.
1: Exactly. They have to guess. And that's super stressful for them. So the clarity is really motivational. That part, like, I'm, I'm, I'm chaos. Like, I love creativity. I'm like the visionary. Hey, let's try this. Let's go do things. Um, my business runs well because I have a team of people um, headed by an amazing integrator that love to make things run really, really well. And I look at, like, one of my teams is killing it right now. And But the work to me is super repetitive. And I'm like, I could never do that job. And he's like, you're focused on the wrong thing. Because they don't care about the repetition because they care about the work is clear. They're good at it and they know how to be successful. And it's instantly obvious to them when they're doing it well, because they love that. And they'll do that all day long every day because every day feels like winning to them.
0: That's I'm why like, it's so much fun to do things with your hand, like chop wood or dig a ditch or build a fire. Because, you know, if you did it or you didn't do it, it's obvious.
1: <laughs> so we had now created the systems in place where the team went from highly demotivated to extremely motivated because now they know. That's a lesson you can take from video games. Clarity and feedback. You know, what we do to design games, to get people to pay to work. Here's the secret for you. Video (laughs) games are work you pay to do. That's such a
0: good point. I've spent thousands and thousands of hours leveling up characters while avoiding the gym for my own personal health. And it was harder the time spent in the video game Well exceeded what it would have taken to get a six pack in the real
1: Yeah, when you look at your companies, there's lessons you can draw. I mean, they talk about gamification and I'm not talking about making things cute and put little icons on. I'm talking about work design is the feedback that people get from the work they're trying to do. And then, like I said, scaling up, EOS, I think strategic coach does a good job of helping
0: leaders. sounded like you were sort of describing the entrepreneurial myth a bit too, with being extremely clear of the job description before you even post a job, you know exactly what they're doing and what they're how you're going to measure their success before you post a job.
1: It should not be a mystery to an employee when they show up to work, what they're supposed to do, mm-hmm. like what's important. And we've all agreed on that. And the things we're talking about are... Th- you know, that's foundational. Once you have that, how do you connect people? And yeah. how, because that's the change when suddenly the things you've agreed to don't work anymore or need to modify or be updated. Relationships are the ropes we use to hold each other together to get through those difficult times.
0: Sounds great. And it sounds like working in your organizations would be fun because you would, you would do it. It's more than just you're, you are, you're doing work, but you or you understand the purpose behind it, and that you're more than just a number on a spreadsheet, and you're more than just a cog in a wheel or a button on a vending machine. So curious if someone's listening to this and they're resonating with with working for you or wanting to inject some of this into their workplace. Where do, like where do they go to find more about you, your businesses, and what you're up to?
1: It's super easy, uh, ScottNovus.com. So it's my name, ScottNovus.com/slash/play. If you go to Scottnovas.com slash play, you're going to find like uh, all the tools. And, and what I'd recommend is come to one of, we do a fun in our, not a webinar, a fun in our, and what we do is invite you to come and play the game with us, come and sit down and take a look at it. We'll talk about your teams, your company and see if there's, cause you know, we do events for a living. Um, and so we can help. And I also do public speaking and I run workshops, um, leadership training um, to help people you know, practice teamwork better. Uh, My platform is work better together. Um, And we'd love to help you and share what we know. And, you know, just as a minimum, you're going to take away um, some fun ideas and useful tips. So that's the easiest way. Scottnovus.com slash play and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the platform I spend the most time on and I'm most available on.
0: An employee and they're not running a business and maybe they're not the decision maker. How would you suggest they introduce your ideas into their company?
1: Well, we can help with that. We can give you the tools to carry it up the chain because this stuff is, uh, you know, some companies uh, slotted, they have uh, funds for professional development. Some companies have funds for teamwork Um, and we can give you the tools to help communicate the message because it's actually all backed by science. It's backed by positive psychology and it's intentionally designed. I mean, video games are storytelling in the second person you're designing a story for someone else to experience. And so ultimately the tools we use are inherently experiential learning tools. So while they're games, these aren't like your, the games everybody thinks of. It's not Bejeweled or Fortnite. These are interactive software designed to help people connect and communicate more effectively. And when they're fun, it happens faster.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll definitely have to talk again. We just cracked open the shared interests that we have. And I'd love to keep talking with you. I'm just so grateful you came. And, and you, I, I just love what you're doing. We need it in the virtual workplace, no question. So thank you so oh, much. Oh, thank you, James. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on a review and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show. See you next time.